see so many faces. Uh, so tonight, tonight's message is born from a couple of months of me wrestling with something. And the Lord just kind of put this small idea on my heart and it just kind of stuck around. And I thought, I don't know where this is going to go or what this will turn into. Um, but I had a feeling it was going to turn into a sermon. And so I'm grateful that I get to share it with you guys tonight. And so I know there's a lot, you know, I can look at all the faces in this room and I see people who have followed Jesus for a very long time. And I know that we all know that we are not perfect. And we know that we've been forgiven. We know we've been redeemed. We know that there's a beautiful end to the story. And we also know that it's just kind of messy in those in-betweens. Where we're at right now is just a little messy. And there's a lot of highs and a lot of lows, a lot of following Jesus faithfully, and a lot of following Jesus kind of messy, mostly faithfully, (laughs) trying our best to be faithful, and a lot of sidesteps and imperfect moments, and maybe even some more serious moments that we don't really want people to know about, and busy lives and a hard time focusing on what really matters to us. I have a feeling I'm not alone in this. And so this sermon was born out of those moments for me. Uh, Those moments where we don't feel perfect and where we know we've messed up. The moments where we think, where have I been? What have I been doing? I know where the Lord is. I know that he hasn't left. I know he's been here all along, but what about me? And... Maybe I've just been believing some lies, or uh, maybe I've been letting the enemy get to me a little bit more than I thought, and maybe I haven't really been believing some truth from the Lord as much as I had hoped, and so what does God have to say to us right there in those moments, that moment right there? So will you pray with me before we begin? Father, I'm so grateful for your goodness that we sing about, that we speak. And Lord, right now I ask that in the hearts of all of us, including myself tonight, that we feel that, your goodness. I pray that you would make yourself so clear to each of us tonight, where all of us are at. Father, would you be so near? Would your voice be so quiet and yet so clear to each of us? Father, we are grateful with hands open to hear what you have to say to us tonight. In your name, amen. All right. So we got to start at the beginning. The scene. God is creating order from chaos. He's separating the earth from the waters. He makes light to govern the day and light to govern the night. He brought forth a dwelling place that was abundant, Every plant yielding seed, every tree which has fruit yielding seed, every beast of the earth, every bird of the sky. This place was full of beautiful natural resources, gold, precious stones for perfume, resources for living. And he plants two trees, one that produced life, the tree of life, and one that produced knowledge, a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This knowledge is, off, the knowledge that is offered is what would both protect life and what would destroy life. And so God's command in Genesis 2, 16, 
The scripture reads, the Lord God commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. That's, that's the command. God has set parameters for Adam and Eve because he knows what's best for them. All right, the deception. The first lie ever told comes from the mouth of a crafty serpent. Did God really say that? He twists God's words and asks, did God really say not to eat from any tree of the garden? Well, no. God actually didn't say that at all. God never told them to not eat from any tree. It was the opposite. He said, eat, eat of the tree, eat freely. There's just the one you should not eat from. But as we know, Eve believed the lie that what God had told her was not what was best for her. There was something better. And she was going to do things based off of her own determination of what was good and what was bad. Eve eats of the fruit, She saw, she desired, and she took. So in Genesis 3, we read, When the woman saw that the tree was for good, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And then she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God said to the man, and he said to him, or he called out to the man and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? So the response. How did Adam and Eve respond when they sinned? Well, they experienced shame. They knew that they were naked. They were afraid. And so then they hid from the presence of God. That was their response, the first sin that we see. And how did God respond? Well, we know that he was looking for them. He wanted to be with them. God finds them because he was looking for them and he calls out to them. And he says, who told you that you were naked? Man, when I was reading this a couple months ago, this line hit me in a way that it has never before. Who told you that you were naked? I had to sit with it. I just had to sit with God's response to Adam and Eve's sin. Who told you that you were naked? That is what God chose to say to Adam and Eve. I can only imagine that this question was asked with deep sadness and sorrow. I don't see anger or wrath. I don't see a God who wants to yell or turn his back on you or give up on you. What's your experience when you sin? (laughs) What do you feel when you're like, yeah, I messed up. That wasn't good. It could have been you sinning against a friend or a spouse or a parent or a child or maybe sinning against yourself, doing something you know isn't good for you. I know how I respond. I feel terrible. I'm so mad at myself. 
I think, oh, I knew better. I knew better. I can't believe I didn't do better than that. I knew better. I caused so much hurt. How could I have done that? I definitely feel the distance between me and God. I almost feel like I don't even know what to do. Why did I do this? I've been a follower for Jesus for too long to be acting this way, to be looking like the world looks. How could I even like, consider myself coming near to the Lord right now? I know that I would want to hide. I know that I do hide. Now, how do I think God responds? Well, he's got to be so mad at me. He's got to be. If anything, he's just unbelievably disappointed in me. He probably thinks, yeah, she missed the mark again. He probably thinks she should be better than this. She knows better. But is that really what God thinks? Is that really how God responds? That's not how he responded to Adam and Eve. Who told you that you were naked? So he doesn't respond with anger, but instead he's saying, someone told you something about yourself that I didn't tell you. The lie that you believed from the serpent is causing you to feel some type of way about me. It's making you think about yourself differently. It's making you fear me. It's making you hide in shame. It's making you think what I feel about you has changed. Your view of yourself, of your identity, is different than the identity that I told you. Who told you that you were naked? Because it wasn't me. You listened to a voice that wasn't mine. I think when we find ourselves in this position, we have just totally fallen trap to the enemy's deceit. He did it. <laughs> he got us that time. <laughs> The enemy will do whatever he can to cause this rift between us and God, and he'll do whatever it takes to carry you into darkness and bury you there. He'll trick you into thinking you have strayed too far, you have done too much, you have tried to do things on your own too many times, you have been complacent for too long. Who told you that? Did God tell you that? Who told you that you need to hide in shame? Who told you that you were too far gone? Who told you that forgiveness and redemption wasn't still available to you? Who told you that God ever wanted anything other than to be with you? Friends, this is where the good news comes. There is so much hope when we walk with Jesus and we can just replace these lies with God's word. In Romans 8, 1 through 2, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 5, 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. 1 John 5 through 9, 1, 5 through 9. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, 
We lie and do not practice the truth, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What an incredible comfort. It is so comforting to know that we do not have to fear what happens. We know. We know how God feels about us. Charles Spurgeon, in his morning and evening daily readings, it's a devotional, he wrote this. There is no sin which a Christian cannot overcome if he will only rely upon his God to do it. They who wear the white robe in heaven overcame through the blood of the lamb, and we may do the same. No lust is too mighty, no besetting sin too strongly entrenched. We can overcome through the power of Christ. Do believe it, Christian, that thy sin is a condemned thing. It may kick and struggle, but it is doomed to die. God has written condemnation across its brow. Christ has crucified it nailing it to his cross. Go now and mortify it, and the Lord help you to live in his praise, for sin with all its guilt, shame, and fear is gone. Man, that'll preach. Just give Charles Spurgeon the mic. So when I reflect on this passage, I have three things that I think we can take away when we come to these moments. If Adam and Eve's response was to run away from God's presence and to hide, what should our response be? Three things. Confess, run, and listen. First, confess. We need to confess and receive God's forgiveness. Now, we all know that we've already been forgiven for our sins. That happened once and for all. But there's something unique about confessing our sins and remembering, or maybe I can just say, receiving again God's forgiveness. I already have his forgiveness, and he already knows I sinned, but there's humility in confessing our sins, where repentance and turning away from our sin and towards God can happen. This confession to God can be made with assurance, just like we already read in 1 John, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We can come to our Father in confession of what we've done knowing his response is going to be that forgiveness and cleansing. And this confession can also be made in community. The book of James ends in a big exhortation to pray for one another and bear burdens with one another. His whole, whole end of the book, he just really hammers this point. He's saying things like, if someone's suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praises. If anyone is sick, bring the elders together and pray. And then in verse 16, he says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Confessing sins to each other and praying for one another can be incredibly healing and incredibly powerful. You're able to admit brokenness and then let others come around you. They can encourage you, they can comfort you. 
They can pray against the enemy who's trying to add those lies back into tricking you and making you think that God is not on your side. So the first one, confess your sins and receive God's forgiveness. Next, run into God's presence. Don't run away from it and don't hide from it. When we sin, I think the natural response is to run. I gotta get out of here, run from God, because I know what I did. And Adam and Eve obviously ran and hid from his presence, but we don't need to feel that God is the enemy. It is, in fact, his kindness that leads us to repentance. And the reality is that we can't hide from him anyway. He knows everything. He knows us intimately. He knows the wrestling and brokenness in our heart which caused us to sin in the first place. I'm gonna read a chunk out of Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. And then in verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He knows all about our sin, even better than we know, and he yet still deeply loves us. Why do we run away from the one who can heal our brokenness? Instead of hiding, we should run into the Father's arms. We do this by confessing, by drawing near to the Lord in prayer, by pouring over his scriptures and listening to his spirit, not by avoiding church because it's been too long since you've been, but by coming together and being honest with the community of believers. We run into the Father's arms, trusting that he wants us and loves us just as we are, just as much as he did yesterday and just as much as he did the day before. And by remembering that God's love is not dependent on what we do or don't do. The author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our great high priest, the ultimate intercessor, and his blood paid for our sin. His death covered our death. And so then as a result, in verse 416, the author writes, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We don't need to approach God with apprehension and timidity. This verse says approach God with confidence, with boldness, come right up to his throne, his throne of grace and receive. 
receive his mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. God is running after you. Remember how God was looking for Adam and Eve in the garden? It's almost like he's also our good shepherd, leaving the 99 to go after the one lost sheep. Or it's also almost like he's our father running to the prodigal son who has returned home. When we sin, the best thing that we can do is run to God. Run to his presence, receive his grace, and embrace your father who loves you. So once you've confessed, ran into God's presence in his safe space, listen to God's truth and not the enemy's lies. Listen to your true identity, not what someone else said about you. Who told you you were naked? God didn't say that. What does God say about you? Who does he say that you are? Well, a whole bunch of stuff. Feel free to take a picture if you need a reminder. He says that you are chosen, a new creation, adopted, brought from death to life. He says you are a citizen of heaven, redeemed and forgiven, a royal priesthood, a saint. He says that you are the very righteousness of God because of Jesus who took, became our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. We are God's workmanship, the very temple of the Holy Spirit, a child of God, no longer a slave, but free, an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ, and a friend of Jesus. How could I let the enemy come near me with anything less than all of the things that God has already spoken over me? What power does the enemy's words have over me or over God? Mark Jones in his book, God Is, wrote, if God is for us, all of God, not part of God, is for us. The infinite, eternal, unchangeable God who is goodness and wisdom himself is on our side. If he is for us, all of God, not just part of God, all of God is for us. So we are going to practice this tonight, this confess, run, and listen. So you guys can go ahead and close your eyes, and I'm going to read a psalm over you, and then we'll spend some time in prayer, considering some of these things that we've looked at tonight. I'm going to be reading Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. So now in prayer, our first step, confess to him. What lie are you believing from the enemy? Receive his forgiveness. Next, what part of your life are you trying to hide? Or maybe where are you feeling shame? What darkness in your heart needs light to shine on it? Run to him. And then finally, listen. What is he trying to tell you right now about who you are? What truth from God's word do you need to listen to instead of lies from the enemy? Sanctify them in truth, Father. Your word is truth. Father, we are so in awe of what you have done to search us out, reach out to us, fight for us, and draw us to yourself. I'm so grateful that you treat us with kindness and love, gentleness, forgiveness, and grace. Lord, would we feel the washing of your grace and your forgiveness on our hearts right now? Would we feel your embrace? Would we recognize that the only way that we can be where we are is because of you? And so we respond tonight. We respond with humility and we respond with praise collectively together as your body 
to give you all of the glory for what you have done. There were so many things working against us, keeping us from you, but you never let that stop you. And so, Lord, for that I say thank you. Lord, we give you all the glory tonight. In your name, amen.